Hey, Purpose Church, happy Memorial Day weekend. Are you excited to get out traveling after a, a year and a quarter of COVID? I know so many Americans are uh, getting out traveling in the, the launch of summer with Memorial Day weekend. Good to see you. Glad you're with us. So glad that you're uh, with us online here. And I pray that God blesses you uh, this weekend and into the summer and gives you just a great, great summer. Today, uh, we're continuing our new series called Flipped, based on a verse-by-verse study of the Sermon on the Mount because when Jesus comes into our lives, he turns everything upside down. The Sermon on the Mount by Jesus is the greatest sermon ever preached. Now, we've got a 200-page study journal that goes with this series that was produced by our very own within our communications, creative communications department, Chanel de los Reyes and Joanne Tahatra. We're so appreciative of these two young ladies for uh, producing this that goes along with this 15-week series through the summer, summer series, through the Sermon on the Mount. So I hope uh, that you'll get a hold of this. You just simply go to our website and it'll give you the information for you to get this. And please, uh, there's a, a charge connected with it, but we want everybody to have it regardless of, if you can't afford it, please let us just give it to you because we want everybody to have this as we go through this summer uh, series uh, together. Now, last Sunday, I mentioned Kimberly and my new favorite TV show called The Chosen. And it is just a phenomenal portrayal of the life of Jesus and the disciples and um, really encourage you to watch it. I think you'll be greatly blessed by it. It's on a free app. Doesn't cost anything uh, because the greatest crowdfunding in all of history uh, in order to produce this. They hope to have a billion people watch it around the world. Well, I was reading uh, John Burroughs, our choir and orchestra director. He sends out kind of an encouragement letter uh, email every week to the choir and orchestra to hang in there until we're able to bring them back into our services again uh, post-COVID. And so he showed this video clip within that email uh, that I had not seen before, which is all the cast of The Chosen preparing to portray the Sermon on the Mount, a cast of thousands. And, and some of the extras are famous singers like Carrie, uh, uh, Carrie Job and uh, Phil Wickham and others are some of the extra, extras for this cast of thousands as they were filming um, the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, John showed how they had a time of worship before they showed the ser- or before they portrayed and, and went through the actions and acted uh, for the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought it would be fun before we get into our study uh, to watch this together. Let's watch this.
Isn't that awesome? Uh, who knew the disciples were such good singers? I had no idea. And who knew that there were so many uh, cell phones uh, recording the events of the Sermon on the Mount? I just had uh, no idea. Now, before we get into our study, I want to thank you for your faithful giving uh, to the ministries of Purpose Church. And I could give you a thousand examples of the impact of that, but let me just give you one here today because this week our Awana Children's Ministry uh, finished just a tremendous year, a difficult year because of Zooming, because of COVID, but a year that God, they, they went over the obstacles and met the challenges and God used it in a powerful way. Now, Awana, did you ever know this, what it stands for? Uh, Awana, our children's ministry here at Purpose Church, stands for approved workmen are not ashamed. Approved workmen are not ashamed. It's taken from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And Awana, as I mentioned, was on Zoom this year, and yet we had children from Oman in the Middle East uh, to the Philippines to uh, the states of Washington, Virginia, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Texas, and in California, we had kids on our Zoom uh, from San Diego to Livermore, Livermore. I have no idea. I'm going to have to Google that. Where in California is Livermore? To Sacramento and San Luis Obispo, Pasadena to Torrance, and of course, uh, Pomona and beyond. Uh, in our Awana uh, ministry this year, we Zoomed with kids uh, 11 hours ahead of us and 15 hours ahead of us and two and three hours ahead of us. Really a global ministry, our Awana children's ministry this past year. We had Zoom groups each Wednesday starting at 10 in the morning Pacific Standard Time and going through 8 p.m. for the next 10 hours Pacific Standard Time. And the grand total of verses memorized by the kids in our Awana program this year was 7,156. And you, you made that possible through your faithful giving and serving and praying, and I praise God for you. Now, the title of today's message is Salt, Light, and Law, and it's based on Matthew 5, verses 13 through 20. So let's start with salt. We are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. Verse 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, salt in that day was used to keep meat from going bad. Um, Christians, in the same way, Jesus said, are called to keep society uh, from decay. A salt is also a flavor enhancer. And so we, as followers of Jesus, we're called to bring out uh, the full flavors of humanity by living in relationship with God and uh, with each other. Um, this is not a salt shaker. It's a spice shaker, but it's similar to salt. And the reason I wanted to show it to you is because it's from a place called Pickles Place. And one of the churches that uses our sermons as part of their worship service is First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho. And for 
for all of you at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho. Just want to say hi and uh, can't wait to get up there and preach for you live um, in, in, in the next, in the months or in the year ahead. But there's this a diner a couple of blocks from First Baptist Church, Arco, Idaho called Pickles Place. And they sell the most unbelievable steak and seasoning spice. This stuff is absolutely amazing. Uh, we love it in our family. And so it's similar to salt. And that is, um, if we look and act just like the world around us, if we lose our saltiness, it, Jesus says, if we watch the same things the world watches, if we think like the world thinks, we lose our ability to change the world. If we're no different than the culture or the world around us, we have lost our saltiness and it doesn't make any impact. On the other hand, if we still have our saltiness, we've protected our saltiness and, and, and we live the way that Jesus wants us to live and think and, and do the things he wants us to do. But if we never get out of the salt shaker, if we never get beyond our, our Christian friends, then we won't make an impact. So we'll make no impact if we don't get out of the salt shaker. On the other hand, if we lose our saltiness and we look just like the world and the culture around us, we won't make an impact either. You know, there are two, three types of Christians and three types of churches. Three types of Christians and three types of churches. And they're illustrated uh, by the Titanic. Um, uh, I think I see Jack and Rose hanging on to a plank of wood right over here. Uh, sorry if you haven't seen the movie Titanic. You don't know what I'm talking about. But here's the Titanic going down. Great tragedy. And what we're told is there were uh, two different responses. There are three groups of people here. One were the people that were drowning in the water. Another were in lifeboats that got as far away from the sinking of the Titanic, just protected the people that were in their little light lifeboat, that were in their salt shaker, just protected those in their salt shaker, in their lifeboat, got as far away as possible so they wouldn't be swamped by drowning people or they wouldn't be sucked in uh, when the Titanic went, went down, got as far away from drowning people as they could. And then there was that third group, okay, they were the ones that took the risk because they still had lots of room in their lifeboats. The, this picture portrays the lifeboats as full. Many of them were not. And yet uh, there were some that would take the risk to go in and save drowning people, uh, protect themselves in the boat, but also pull others aboard as well. And that's three types of Christians. Um, uh, some uh, are willing, or I should say three types of people. Some are drowning. Um, they're they're in, the, in the world. They're, they're going to hell. And then there are uh, two types of Christians, I should say. Three types of people, two types of Christians. And some Christians just get as far away from the people that are drowning as, as possible and just protect themselves until they go to heaven. And, and then there are those that um, come close to the drowning people enough to save them. But then there are others that are so compromised with the world that they fall out of the boat and they're drowning as well. And so we're supposed to be that third type of Christian, that third type of church, the one that doesn't get so far away from the needs of people that we can't help anybody, that doesn't jump in the water. Sometimes Satan deludes us and we think, boy, the people in the water, they're having all the fun. And so we jump in as well. So we don't lose our saltiness to the point where we're just part of the world now on our way to hell as well. 
but instead to be that third type of Christian that maintains our own integrity as followers of Christ. We maintain our saltiness, but we get close enough that we can actually help people in need. And there are three different types of, of churches that way. Some churches compromise so much, uh, they, they lose their saltiness, they're not doing any good to anybody because they, they look just like a social club. And then there are those that get so far away and just try to protect themselves and they get far away from reaching people of Christ. We at Purpose Church, we want to be that third type of church. Uh, we want to be the type that gets close enough to reach people for Christ. But on the other hand, we don't fall into the water so that we're drowning uh, as well as the others. Uh, we're to be God's light to the world. Jesus continues in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, an Old Testament story that I just love because it illustrates exactly what we're talking about. We're, we're getting, putting ourselves in a position where we can actually meet the needs of people, reach people for Christ. Around 850 BC, Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Aram, here is that in that time period, um, 850 BC, was Aram, what is today the, the modern-day nation of Syria. There you see the modern-day capital of Syria is Damascus. Back then, um, Syria, most of it was called Aram. And so Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Aram, he mobilizes his army and surrounds the city of Samaria, the, of northern Israel, uh, the city of Samaria. And he began to starve the people to death. And the Bible says it got so bad that a donkey's head sold for $100 and a pint of dove's dung sold for $6. That's how much they were starving. Uh, we could pick up the story now in verse 3. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we'll die. And if we stay here, we're going to starve to death and die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. It's no worse off than we would have been. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Here's the key. And this is what God challenges us to be like these lepers. We're, we're, we're lepers, uh, one, you know, really followers of Christ are just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And, and, and we have so much as followers of Jesus. And we can either hoard that, uh, just like the boats in the Titanic that stayed as far uh, away from drowning people as they could, just like the salt 
that stays in the salt shaker. We can just protect ourselves um, uh, just at all costs to make sure we're safe. Um, we, can, we can be in safe places. I mean, that's what I just praise God for you that are part of Purpose Church. Um, many of us live in Pomona, but many, many of us drive in from other places. You've, you've returned to the city. You've come back to where the greatest need is. The, on the corner of Holton Gary, God has called our church for 151 years to be on this spot at this corner. And, and even though it's different than it was 50 years ago or 100 years ago, you, God led you to be where the greatest need is and where the people that need you are. Just like these lepers. Here's what they said and here's what we should say. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight punishment will overtake us, let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went, just like you have Purpose Church. You, you drive here on Sunday mornings. You're a part of a church. Your finances, your resources, they are here where the need is greatest. These lepers went back to the city. They went to where the people were starving and in need. They took their, their salt shaker and they shook it out uh, in, in the place where it most needed salt and most needed light. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went to the Aramean camp and no one was there. Not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted the news and it was reported within the palace and the Bible goes on to say the people poured out and had their needs met. They had salt, they had light, they had food because these lepers fed themselves, but then they turned around and said, what, we are blessed to be a blessing. One of our core values here at Purpose Church is found people, find people. Ones that Christ has found, do not just stay safe in the lifeboats far from the drowning people. Don't stay in the salt shaker. Don't take our light and cover it up. We let the light shine. We let get the salt out of the salt shaker. We take the lifeboats in to where the people are drowning on their way to hell. So we've looked at salt and we've looked at light. Now let's spend the remainder of our time. Let's look at the law and three ways to understand the Old Testament. Jesus continues in verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. It's talking about the Old Testament now, the Old Testament law, the Old Testament, until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the audience would have said, our righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees? That's impossible. And Jesus would have said, that's the point. It drives us to the cross. We can't do it on our own. It's by Christ and Christ alone and his death on the cross. That's the only way we're saved. That's the only way we're made right with God. Now, let me ask you a question with regard to the Old Testament. 
where you're sitting right there in your living room or wherever you're watching on your computer uh, or listening in your car. How many of you have ever struggled with parts of the Old Testament? Let me, let me, hands up. My hand's up. Is your hand up? How many of us have struggled with parts of the Old Testament? Now, we can choose to struggle with the Old Testament or we can reject the Old Testament. We can struggle with it until we get to heaven and it all makes sense. This side of heaven, we can struggle or we can reject it. Jesus teaches in these verses that we should struggle with it and not reject it. Now, people have been rejecting it from the very beginning. Marcion was born in Turkey in AD 85, 85 AD. And he died in Rome in 160 AD. He was a pastor's son who became a wealthy ship owner. He taught that the Christian gospel is wholly a gospel of love to the absolute exclusion of the law. So Marcion rejected the entire Old Testament. He rejected all of the apostles like Peter and John, like the letters 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter, Jude, and his hero was Paul. But even though his hero was Paul, he still rejected three of Paul's letters uh, because there's a, there's a lot of Old Testament in all those things. <laughs> he, he rejected the Old Testament, but then when he got to the New Testament, he found there's an awful lot of Old Testament still uh, affirmed in the New Testament. He rejected the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and John. And the only one he kept was Luke. But then he still cut out every part of Luke that acknowledged the validity of the Old Testament. So even the one he liked, um, uh, Luke, he still had to reject parts of that as well. Uh, Nikki Gumbel writes, Marcion demonstrated the principle that once you take the scissors to the Bible, it is very difficult to know where to stop cutting. And that's why here at Purpose Church, we affirm all of God's word. We say if we got to struggle with the Bible, it's up to us to bring our lives and our thinking in line with God's word and not to take out the scissors and cut out the parts that make us uncomfortable. Uh, cu cut out the parts we don't like. Yeah, there's things we struggle with. Yeah, there's, there, there's doubt and struggle. Absolutely. Until we get to heaven, it'll, then it'll make sense. But this side of heaven, we decide here as a church and as followers of Jesus Christ, we will struggle with God's word. Even the parts that make us uncomfortable, we will not cut them out. Uh, and, and because once we get those scissors going, you know what? You know what? Now we become the final authority. Now we're saying that we're smarter than God. That's what we're saying when we start cutting out parts of God's word. We say, God, I'm the one. I'm the final arbiter. I, I, I'm, the, I'm the final one that says what makes sense and what doesn't, rather than letting God be God, his word be his word, and submitting ourselves to his word. And we see here in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus' attitude toward the Old Testament was exactly the opposite of Marcion's. Uh, John Wenham writes, to Christ, the Old Testament was true, authoritative, inspired. To him, the God of the Old Testament was the living God. And the teaching of the Old Testament was the teaching of the living God. To him, what scripture said, God said. Now, there are several ways to look at the Old Testament. Uh, you can look at it as the acts of God in history. You can look at it as a box, uh, a book of promise that God is going to save us. You can look at it as a book of laws uh, to guide us in our lives. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word uh, for law is Torah, which means guidance or instruction. 
So let's spend the rest of our time looking at three ways, again, to understand uh, the Old Testament. Number one, uh, get to know the person. Get to know God. The stories of the Old Testament tell us about a true, real relationship between God and his people and a real revelation of God to them. I mean, the story we just read earlier, you know what that story tells us? It tells us that God cares for the lepers of our world. Um, He cares for the least in society. Uh, And he uses them to fulfill his purposes. That's what that obscure story that we just looked at from the Old Testament, it tells us, don't you love to follow a God that cares about the lepers, cares about the least, uh, and, and says, I care about them and I can use them to fulfill my purposes as I did in 850 BC, I can do in 2021 AD. Uh, Jesus sheds light backwards on the story. Uh, that says once we meet Jesus, then we look back on the Old Testament, we understand the story now of the Old Testament in the light of its ending. Uh, Jesus said in John 5, 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures. And remember, when he talks about scripture, all Jesus had was the Old Testament. That's the only thing he had. So when he talks about the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Augustine uh, said in 400 AD, 1600 years ago, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. That is the New Testament about Jesus, it's in the Old Testament concealed. There are hints of it, but we don't fully understand it until Jesus. And, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament, now it's revealed in all of its truth. Uh, the Old Testament helps us gain a full understanding of Christ. I mean, you can watch the final half hour of a movie and, and you can get a great deal out of it. But you get so much more out of that movie if you watch the first hour and a half and not just the last half hour. And that's the way it is with the Old Testament. It gives us insight into Jesus in the New Testament. We cannot understand Jesus fully without understanding the Old Testament background. You understand Jesus so much better when you read about the, the, the Messiah figure in, in Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, the suffering servant of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 55, Uh, the son of man in Daniel, and the son of God in 2 Samuel chapter 7. A second way to uh, understand the Old Testament is to enjoy the promises. Uh, Gift Gugu Mona writes, faith is a commitment to stay focused on the fulfillment of God's promises. Jesus fulfilled over 300 promises uh, from the Old Testament, uh, prophecies and promises um, from uh, his, uh, the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ, over 300, 29 of them in just one day, in just one day, 29 of them were fulfilled. Uh, these prophecies were given hundreds, sometimes thousands of years before uh, with great detail. Uh, after his resurrection, Jesus walked with two of his disciples, uh, those that followed him, on the road from Jerusalem to a little village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, We pick up the story in Luke 24, uh, verse 25. Uh, He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets of the Old Testament have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Oh, wouldn't you have loved to have been in on that Bible study? Wouldn't you have loved to have been in on that um, Sunday school class? My goodness. And then a third way to look at the Old Testament is to live it out in practice. Layla Gifty Akita writes, Christ Jesus sanctifies whoever he saves. Sanctifies means he makes them more holy. He makes them more like Jesus. Um, remember last week, we had this saying from the uh, reformers of the 16th century, uh, preachers like Martin Luther or John Calvin. The law sends us to Christ to be justified. That is, when I encounter the Old Testament law, I realize I'm a sinner in need of grace, in need of forgiveness. And the law drives us to the cross of Jesus Christ to be saved, to be forgiven, to be justified. And Christ then sends us back to the law in order to be made sanctified. There we learn how to please God, how to become uh, more like God, to be more like Jesus. You know, God gave the nation of Israel the Old Testament law in order to bless them. The Old Testament law was intended for their good, to protect them uh, from harm and to bring them prosperity and life. Deuteronomy 6, 24, the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. Um, the law also was not a means of salvation, but a response to salvation. The motive for keeping the law was gratitude, the nation of Israel, their gratitude for what God had already done for them by bringing them out of Egypt. Uh, the Ten Commandments begin like this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And now he says, out of gratitude for that, this is how you're supposed to live. Uh, by keeping the law, the, the Israelites would be imitating God. In Le Le Leviticus 19, verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so he gives us the law so that Israelites would be imitating God. Now, Jesus does not reject the Old Testament law. Instead, he radically reinterprets the law. Uh, three parts, there are three parts to the law. One is the ceremonial law, uh, where they would make sacrifices, uh, offerings uh, for their sins. Now, Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law of the at the on the cross. That's why we don't sacrifice lambs or oxen or or, or sheep or doves uh, in our worship services anymore. Why? Because the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, that was fulfilled in Christ. The entire book of Hebrews is all about how the sacrificial systems of the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ. That's what almost all the book of Hebrews was written about. Uh, in John 1, verse 29, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, it's the Lamb of God who by his sacrifice on the cross takes away the sin of the world. So the ceremonial law was completely fulfilled in Christ. That's why we don't obey it anymore. Uh, the civil law uh, applied to ancient Israel, to the theocracy of ancient Israel. And so we're no longer under the civil law. We're not a theocracy like ancient Israel was. But the principles, the details don't apply to us, but the principle of these laws apply to us today. Let me give you an example. Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10, when you reap the harvest of your land, 
Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And so back then, they were commanded, don't pick up everything from your crop. Don't harvest all of it. Leave it there, and then the poor people in the land would come, and that's what they would eat. That's what they would have because they had done this. Now, that doesn't, um, in, in principle, it applies to us certainly today, but not the details of it. So that doesn't mean that we can't have modern-day combine harvesters that are really good at picking up every last uh, piece of, of fruit or of the crop or of wheat or whatever those combines that you see sweeping across states like Nebraska and Kansas uh, we can use those. That's okay. Uh, and it doesn't mean that we can't plow uh, to the edges of our fields today. But what it does mean, the principle that lasts today, is that it does mean that whatever our business is, whatever your business is, whatever our business might be, we should make sure that we remember the poor. That's the principle. The civil law that applied to Israel uh, doesn't ap apply to us today. But the principle behind us that we should always remember the poor, whatever our business might be, that still applies uh, today. And then thirdly, the moral law. Uh, the moral law, we, a couple of examples of this are in Exodus 30, 20, verses 13 and 14. You shall not murder and then you shall not commit adultery. Now, as we're gonna see in the next two weeks, as I teach on this, over the next two Sundays, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we're gonna see that Jesus took these, murder and adultery, murder next week, and adultery the week after that, and we're gonna see in the next two weeks that these laws still apply to us today, but Jesus is gonna widen them further. Uh, he doesn't reverse them, but instead he shows us their full meeting. Uh, by the way, and this is a sermon uh, for another time, but this is one of the tactics that we call the new atheists today, the apologists for atheism today. This is one of the things that they will do to confuse um, Christians and, and, and confuse people is they will switch things. I've read books like Sam Harris and um, Letters to a Christian Nation and then uh, Richard Dawkins and others of these. As I've read all these uh, books by these uh, new atheist apologists, they switch things. You watch them. They do this bait and switch all over the place. So they'll switch between Islam and the Old Testament, and then within the Old Testament, they'll switch between the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral law, and they'll mock Christians, even though the ceremonial law has been fulfilled in Christ, and the civil law applies to ancient Israel, but just the principles apply to us today, and, and, and the moral law, which Jesus expanded, and they switch between Islam, the Old Testament, civil, ceremonial, moral law, and the New Testament. For example, they take violence. Uh, violence is taught in the Quran uh, for Islam. Uh, violence was uh, okayed in certain circumstances by the theocracy of ancient Israel. But nowhere in the New Testament do you ever find any justification uh, for violence, to, uh, to pressure somebody through acts of violence to follow Jesus. You can't find it. There's one place where Jesus said, hey, get a sword. But then like 10 verses later, he said, those that live by the sword will die by the sword. And so 10 verses later, he explains that obscure passage. Other than that, there is zero 
advocacy for violence to promote the Christian faith. And yet the new atheists, they'll, they'll confuse you by switching in uh, teachings from the Quran and the theocracy of the Old Testament with the New Testament and confuse people in order to um, uh, make them reject their faith. Now that's just a sermon for another time. I preached on it in the past. I'll preach on it in the future. But um, I just wanted to point that out as an aside. Now let's do this summary quote and then we're going to be done. Nicky Gumbel says, so Marcion was wrong. To reject the Old Testament is to reject the clear teaching of Jesus. Jesus did not reject the law. He did not reject the Old Testament. He meditated on it. He endorsed it. He fulfilled it. The gospel of love is not opposed to the Old Testament. Rather, it is complementary. And so with that in mind, um, let's now close uh, this message with this uh, prayer. Dear God, our hearts are broken for this world. The hatred is palpable, the division undeniable, and the pain runs deep. We desperately need more of you. We ask for your truth to be louder than the noise which surrounds us. For your mercy to be stronger than the voices of oppression. For your strength to overpower those who seek to do harm. Where there is division, bring unity. Where there is anger, bring peace. Where there is evil, bring victory. Empower us to fulfill your mission to answer your calling, to be the light you've created us to be. May your love, your grace, and your mercy flood this world. We love you. We seek you. We place our hope in the mighty name of Jesus. This we pray.